Welcome back, everyone, to the Practicology Podcast. This is episode 151, and we are reaching the end of our Why I Am a Christian reading challenge uh, for the month of February, which is, as you know, I Love to Read Month. And Matthew is working from the last chapter of John Stott's book today, and John Stott titled this chapter, The Greatest of All Invitations. So it is, this blessed invitation to come to Christ. Matthew, we don't always take the time to read the scripture at the beginning of our episodes, but I'd like to read these verses at the end of Matthew 11 because they're they're so precious to me. Jesus says there in Matthew 11:28, he says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy." and my burden is light. For 1,800 years, those words have been a blessing to the world, and they have done good to myriads of souls. Yeah, that's true, but uh, why just 1,800 years, Matthew? I I think those words were probably um, more like 2,000 years old. It's true, but I was quoting J.C. Ryle there, who, like John Stott, was an evangelical Anglican minister in England, but Bishop Ryle ministered in the 19th century, so it was only 1,800 years when he wrote it. And uh, I really enjoyed perusing his expository thoughts on the Gospels. Those words of Matthew 11, he says, "...have been a blessing to the world, and they have done good to myriads of souls. Come to Christ for rest and for fresh supplies of grace every day. And if we have come to Him already, let us cleave to Him more closely." Amen. And that last phrase speaks to your title for the episode, I'm guessing. You've called this episode... Come to Christ again and again. I know your soundness in the doctrine of the gospel well enough, Matthew, to know you're not implying people need to come to Christ to be saved from their sins and then come to him again and again for salvation every time they sin. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Uh, People do not need to be born again, again. Once we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from that position, praise the Lord. But I don't think the teaching of Matthew 11 is strictly exclusively for an unconverted audience. I do preach these words to unconverted sinners. In fact, they are some of my favorite words to preach to an unconverted audience. But while we find rest in the arms of Jesus on Conversions Day, sometimes we need a rest refresher. Or as I think this text may be implying, there is rest when we first come to Christ and there is more rest to enjoy as we come back to him in our hearts, as we learn more of him, and learn to follow him more closely. Well, you'll be relieved to know, Matthew, that I agree with you, and even more relieved to hear that Charles Spurgeon seemed to interpret it that way, and he applied it that way. He said, first we rest by faith in Jesus, then we rest by obedience to him. The point is, there is something here for everyone, or better yet, there's someone here for everyone. Christ is for everyone. And listeners, I know where Matthew is going in this episode today, and I want you to go there with him. He's going to Christ, and he's bringing us to Christ, and there is rest for your soul in Christ today. Yeah. And stick with us through to the very end today for some musical accompaniment from some friends of mine to encourage our hearts to esteem Jesus Christ above all others, to seek him for rest for our souls. But right now, we're focused on how Christ is taking the initiative and inviting us. So picture his extended arms today as you think of these words in Matthew 11. Because, brothers and sisters, those arms are open to you today. Those arms are extended wide to all who feel a load on their heart of which they would fain get free, says J.C. Ryle. A load of sin or a load of sorrow. 
a load of anxiety or a load of remorse. Do any of those fit you? All whosoever they may be and whatsoever their past lives, all such are invited to come to Christ. He interposes no hard conditions. He speaks nothing of works to be done first. Just as you are this very day, Christ says, come to me. Well, if you have indeed read the final chapter of Stott's book, you would have noticed that he used a lengthy quote from the book we did in last year's February reading challenge, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. That was neat to see this year's author appreciating the book that we read last year. And Stott says, No one describes more dramatically the exhilaration of losing the burden of sin than John Bunyan did in Pilgrim's Progress. Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing, I don't know the tune, so I'm just going to read it to you. Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in. Till I came hither, what a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from off my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. I don't know what has gotten you so weary, friend, whether you're Tired of struggles and trials? Tired of your own sinful flesh? Tired of being unloved or unappreciated? But I know Christ speaks to you today and says, come to me. I don't know what your burden is, whether it's the pressures of life, the strain of expectations you can't measure up to, the the frightening uncertainty of the future, the weight of unconfessed sin. I don't know your burden, but I know whatever it is, Christ knows it, and he can carry it. And with arms extended wide, he says to you, come to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he never fails. Matthew, some commentators, they link the weariness and the burden to the weight that the Pharisees were placing upon people. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, chapter 23, verse 4 in this very book of Matthew, uh, the Lord strongly rebukes the scribes and Pharisees. He says, They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. So when I read these words in Matthew 11 and think of the audience to whom the Lord spoke, it's hard for me not to think of that connection to chapter 23. I think that's definitely in mind. I just say not exclusively in mind. But that's a good example of one of the pressures of life that people were dealing with in the Lord Jesus' day. And still today, obviously, some of our listeners are struggling under a burden of legalism in their church culture, perhaps. Well, I can counsel you in one thing that's going to help you keep going while you feel crushed at times under that burden. Come to Christ with that burden. Christ is the cure for legalism. He's got plenty of experience in ministering to people who are weary of that law-like pathway. Come to him for rest. Yeah, and I think not only, you know, Matthew 23, but even just the following verses in chapter 12, where you have the Pharisees criticizing Christ about their interpretation of the law and and then, you know, the healing of the man with the withered hand and so on. I I think think that supports um, that interpretation. And picking grain grain on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I find that people in that situation really do need some rest, a rest refresher, as you said at the beginning. And Sometimes that can involve getting out of the environment that you're in for a little bit. Maybe going to a conference, uh, maybe seeing a friend in another town for a weekend. Sometimes those breaks can help us a little bit. 
but all the time Christ helps. So even even in those um, times of rest and refreshment and just changing our environment, ultimately it is Christ who is providing the refreshment we need. Yeah, here's a poem along that line from another Christ-centered 19th century pastor evangelist. Listen to these words from John Nelson Darby. There is rest for the weary soul. There is rest in the Savior's love. There is rest in the grace that has made us whole and that seeketh out those who rove. There is rest in the calming grace that flows out from those realms above. Oh, what rest in the thought we shall see his face who has given us to know his love. There is rest in the Savior's heart. I like that line. There is rest in the Savior's heart who would never turn grief away, but has found in what sin once had made our part the domain of his love's display. The end of that first stanza made mention of those who rove, that is, those who wander. And maybe in the heaviness of your life, the pressures and frustrations you deal with, maybe you've drifted a little bit. Come back to Christ again and again. He opened up his arms for a disappointed Mary and Martha to find rest again. Those arms were extended wide to Peter after he had denied Christ, to Thomas after Thomas failed to believe he rose from the dead. And those arms have been extended to me time and time again. I've wandered, sure I have. And I felt the turmoil in my soul that results from looking elsewhere for rest. But in the grace of God, I've come to Christ again and found rest again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my experience has been the same. I feel like my Christian life is just one big going back to him again and again, um, forgetting him, failing him, and then running back to him. And let's just think for a moment about the rest that Jesus gives us in those extended arms, those arms that then envelop us and embrace us. I mean, obviously the unconverted clearly need to find rest. They can't carry the burden of sin. They need peace with God through Christ. And as Christians, praise the Lord, we found that rest in Christ, a rest of conscience, a rest that stems from knowing we're completely forgiven. But we are saying that even as Christians, once we've found that rest, we can still struggle with those things. Uh, we don't lose Christ, but we can lose our sense of that rest. And we need to come back to Christ again and rejoice again in his blood cleansing us from all sin and appreciate the scripture again that says he's purified our conscience and preach the gospel to ourselves again and again, which keeps us centered on Christ. And we need to just take time to sit with him and enjoy him and press pause from the hectic pace of life and take time to simply rest in Christ. Amen. That's good. And, you know, the glorification of busyness is not a 21st century phenomenon, apparently, because listen to what J.C. Ryle said about 200 years ago. Unrest is one great characteristic of the world. Hurry, vexation, failure, disappointment stare us in the face on every side, but there is hope. There is an ark of refuge today, as truly as there was for the dove in Noah's day. There is rest in Christ. Now, I want to move on to think specifically for a moment of who it is we're coming to in the context of Matthew 11. We've thought of the extended arms. I want to think now about the eternal son. And there are two reasons that I'm using that title, the eternal son, in this episode. Do you know what they are, Mike? 
I'm guessing that one of them is that it starts with an E. Correct. That That's the elementary reason, but there is a deeper reason. The way the Lord describes himself in this section is really interesting. In the verse that precedes what you read to us, so back verse 27, the Lord speaks of this unique father-son relationship. He says, all things have been entrusted to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. So he's really emphasizing this unique intimacy of that eternal father-son relationship in the Trinity, and he testifies to his distinctiveness from all created beings. He says, all things have been entrusted to me. This is the mighty eternal God in flesh, the Son of God. And I highlight that because of the striking way the Son then chooses to describe himself in verse 29. I am lowly and humble in heart. All things have been entrusted to me, and I'm lowly. And I think that's amazing and it's awesome. Yeah, it is absolutely stunning and awesome. And, you know, what you're drawing out there, Matthew, as as you're, you're showing us that these words about being humble and gentle and lowly in heart, these words are spoken by the one who is the Son of God, which means that when he's describing um, the, the gentleness and lowliness of his own heart, he's actually describing the heart of God, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is what God is like. Um, there is a gentleness, a, a predisposition to mercy there. And you were saying back in our first episode in this series, episode 148, that this is the one time Christ describes his own heart and what a beautiful description, lowly and humble, or as in the ESV, gentle and lowly. And I love this description too, because it reminds me of a book I've talked about on the podcast before, uh, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. I won't uh, rehash everything about that book. We've talked about it in, I think, our first um, book recommendation episode. But uh, that book definitely touched a nerve and um, stirred a lot of readers' hearts because I think it brought out um, just the beauty of the heart of Christ and, uh, and maybe touched a lot on what I tried to speak about in a recent episode that Christ... Uh, doesn't have to work at loving us. He just loves us. And there is a an affection, a heartfelt affection in his heart for us. Thank you. And that's, this is wonderful because that's the sort of man we can always run to for rest. It's a lovely thing to see that awesome authority, all things from the Father entrusted to such a humble man, uh, a merciful man, a compassionate man. The scribes and Pharisees were in a position of authority, but they were proud, self-righteous men. And they abuse their authority in a legalistic, crushing way, but not the Son of God. He has all authority, yet he's lowly and humble, and he can give you rest. So Matthew, can, can you take this a step further here? This is lovely theology that we're enjoying about the person of Christ, but do you have any practical suggestions to help us experience the rest that God's Son is offering us? Um, in other words, can you just put a little bit more practa in the practicology? Yeah, uh, my one suggestion today would be to encourage our listeners to be present physically and mentally, emotionally at the Lord's Supper. Be there and take the time to really think about what that bread and cup signify and enjoy the presence of Christ and feed on Christ. Think about the grace that Christ gives you. In fact, Maybe get there a few minutes early before the noise and hustle and bustle of people coming in at the last minute. Before a hymn's given out, maybe just open your Bible, maybe read John 19 or Psalm 22 or hear the end of Matthew 11 
and take a long look at the bread and the cup. Think not only about what Christ has done for you at the cross when he gave his actual body and shed his actual blood, but think about what he's giving you today. He wants to give you a reminder of that grace. He provides the food at his supper. He says, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it. He wants you to taste the reminder of his forgiveness. He wants you to enjoy what he's done for you. It's like you can come into his arms again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving me, for welcoming me. The Lord's Supper is a great display of the gospel, and the gospel isn't about your performance, is it? It's about you finding rest in Christ. Well, that's an excellent suggestion, Matthew. And uh, as you say that, I, I wonder if we could just try to take Matthew 11 and 28 and hear our Lord uh, speaking those words in invitation to us every time we go to the Lord's Supper, right? He's saying, he's saying to each one of us, come to me. Uh, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Amen. But one more thing. The eternal Son, with his extended arms, gives us something else with this rest. In fact, he gives us something to help us find rest. An easy yoke. Extended arms from the eternal Son and an easy yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And once again, the Savior surprises us. He's full of surprises. You spoke of his bold humility, Matthew, in episode 148. And now we're hearing him speak about finding rest by bearing a yoke. And he says his burden is light. I mean, this is full of paradoxes. Yeah. And doubtless we'll sometimes read that and think, well, I'm finding following Christ to be very difficult right now. How can he speak of it as a light burden? And in fairness, the Lord Jesus in the same gospel speaks of the difficulties of following him. One example is chapter 7, the gate is narrow and the road is difficult that leads to life. So there's going to be difficulties in following Christ, yes. However, with a right perspective and a submissive heart, those difficulties can themselves be part of the rest we enjoy in our souls. The Lord gives me the privilege of suffering some difficulties for his name. The Lord sticks with me in the difficulties. The Lord lets me pass through these difficulties so that I become more like him, so that I learn him more intimately. And what would I prefer? Going through the trials of life without Christ or going through them with Christ? Or what would I prefer, the trials and burdens of the transgressor or the trials and burdens of a disciple of Jesus Christ? In his commentary on Matthew, R.T. France says, What determines how hard it will be to be yoked to someone is what kind of master they are. The beneficial effect of Jesus' yoke is because of the character of the one who offers it. That's good, yeah. And you've contrasted the burden of following Christ to the burden of sin. Another contrast I guess we could make, um, and, and we spoke about it earlier, is the yoke of Christ versus the yoke of the Pharisees. You know, Jesus is humble and lowly, but the Pharisees were arrogant and harsh. Yeah, they're reminiscent of the days of Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when the people of Israel said to him, your father made our yoke harsh. You therefore lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. But Rehoboam follows the counsel of his young men instead of his elders. He replies, my father made your yoke heavy, I will add to your yoke. So he made it heavier upon the people, which is what you pointed out the Pharisees did as well. As R.T. France says, 
Jesus, though, offers a new yoke that will not add to oppression, but will ease the burden and bring rest. And one of the ways we will find his yoke to be a means of rest is if we have a submissive and obedient heart. There is a rest to our souls that comes with the knowledge that we are obeying and pleasing our Lord and Master. Yeah, I think it's one of the greatest joys of life to, to know that we're bringing joy to the Lord in our obedience to his will, to know that we're actually pleasing him. And C.S. Lewis spoke of this as becoming an ingredient in the divine happiness. And all of this is just really following in the steps of the Lord Jesus himself, because this is where he found great joy in, in doing the will of the Father. So I think this is part of what Christ means when he says, learn of me. It's enjoying him, but it's also becoming more like him. Okay, and on that note, let me pull up these words from Charles Spurgeon. Think about these words now. We are to be workers and take his yoke. We are to be scholars and learn of him. And he is both the teacher and the lesson. If we can become as he is, we shall rest as he does. Always having the rest once given, always finding more. I think that's worth thinking over. Always having the rest once given. In other words, we've come to Christ by faith and found everlasting peace and rest in him. We can't lose that. But then, always finding more rest. Because as we continue to learn of him and follow him closely, we will find more rest in the knowledge that we are pleasing him and becoming more like him. This will be rest for our souls. I think back to the episode you just given us last week, Mike, on freedom. Uh, this is a similar thought. Obeying Christ is not bondage. It is a freedom. Pleasing him is not a grief to us then. It's, it's rest. This is why J.C. Ryle said, his yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. Huh. Yeah, what a beautiful note to end on. The extended arms, the eternal sun, the easy yoke, the Lord Jesus' yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. Thank you for giving us some Ryle and Spurgeon there and, and some of your own thoughts today too, Matthew. And brothers and sisters, let's take this good counsel to heart today. Let's take it to, to heart right now. Come to Christ again and again for grace and rest. And this is also a good note on which to conclude our February reading challenge. We hope you've enjoyed going through John Stott's Why I Am a Christian with us. And if you haven't yet finished, you've got until midnight on March 3rd to finish reading it and send us an email at info at to be entered into the draw to win one of those great Tetelista It Is Finished sweatshirts from Prince of Peace. And a very special thank you to Jacob Nesbitt for partnering with us in that. And any questions or comments you have on Stott's book, please feel free to shoot us an email. And we're keeping it real here on the Practicology Podcast. We're not wrapping up with our regular outro music because when we recorded this, a song that my friends Ken and Nancy Biddington have often sung for us came to mind. So I asked them to record a little of that for me. Credits to them and to Jeremy Camp, whose arrangement they are following. Thanks, Ken and Nancy. Thank you, listeners, and enjoy these words as we wind down today's episode. In the morning when I rise, in 